This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. To Blue Notes, your hockey podcast network home for your reigning, defending, undisputed champion of the world, and will be for a while, the St. Louis Blues. I am your host, Tom Franklin, joined by the man known as Wags. Wags, how's it going, man? Oh, uh, it's going well. You know, just still trying to get through this uh, dark time of sports and missing out on hockey. But you know what? This bracket that we're going to be doing is going to solve a lot of problems. Yes, it will. And it's going to solve problems for us. And it's going to solve problems for you, the hockey fan, because we're going to give you some things to think about, especially actually 32 things to think about with our opening round of our uh, 64 player all-time St. Louis Blues bracket. It is called a bracket of our own. In honor of Tom Hanks, keep fighting the good fight, man. Uh, get healthy in Australia. If we lose you, we lose all hope. So please get well. Um, but yes, uh, we announced it on our Monday episode that our solution to this void of nothingness that we are wandering into uh, was going to be offering you, the fan, a chance to interact with us. And um, we're doing it through the uh, bracket uh, that is in March, but you cannot call it a March Madness bracket because we don't have March Madness brackets anymore. But we do have a bracket. It's full of madness, and it's in March. So here we go. It's a bracket of our own, the brainchild of the man called Wags. And uh, today, Wags, we have the defenseman. That we do. We've got uh, some pretty good names out there, some pretty good matchups coming up in, in both brackets, really. Uh, I can't wait till we get to the forwards our next show, but this one is going to be exciting because there's a lot of potential and a lot of potential upsets. Oh, definitely. And especially as these brackets go on, we got some interesting matchups that will probably form even just starting in the second round. But even in the first round, we got some interesting ones here. And uh, uh, why don't you go ahead, Wags, and run down the uh, – first of all, we'll start with the defenseman. And a reminder, by the way, before we start doing that, we will do polls of each of these matchups on the Blue Notes Pod Twitter page at Blue Notes Pod. I think I forgot to say, say that last episode, but I'll remind you uh, now at Blue Notes Pod. Uh, we will do you know each matchup: the one versus sixteen, the two versus fifteen, the eight versus nine, all the way down. We want to know who you think should win these brackets. We're going to give you our opinions. But we want to know what you think. And we're going to give you some background to these players here as we run them down individually here. So um, keep that in mind. We'll do the defenseman on Thursday and then have that up for two days. Wags, go ahead and first run down the defenseman bracket for us. Certainly. So you got your 116 matchup is going to be the all-time legend Chris Pronger going up against the 16th seed Jeff Finley. The 215 matchup is Al McKinnis going up against one of our favorites, Sasha Havanoff. Yes. Love Sasha Havanoff. Uh, the 314 matchup is a, it's a couple of captains, Alex Petrangelo versus Eric Brewer. Uh, in the 413 matchup, it's a battle of the Bobs, Bob Plager versus Bob Gassoff. In 512, you have the immortal Barkley Plager going up against Paul Cavallini. In the 6-11 matchup, Barrett Jackman going up against Rob Ramage. 7-10 matchup is a, a battle of the younger stars, Colton Pareko going up against Kevin Shattenkirk. Okay. Uh, and then in the 8-9 matchup, you have Jeff Brown going up against Jay Bomeister. Okay, some very interesting matchups. There's some uh, good alliteration with some of those matches too, by the way. Yeah, and it's it's funny because we didn't really plan some of those, and no, it just kind of fell out that way. It it, it just kind of worked. It just kind of worked out the way it is. I mean, again, literally, I found the players and then Wags seated them and put the brackets together for us. So it just it just ha happy happenstance, I guess. So 
All right, first matchup is uh, number one versus number 16. It is Chris Pronger taking on Jeff Finley in probably the one matchup in our entire brackets that if this were like the March Madness, it would be like the 120 to 40, you know, kind of a result. I think this one is an absolute walkover for Chris Pronger. Do I even really need to rattle off some of his stats and accolades? You know what? I don't think so. I mean, it wouldn't hurt to just put him out there. But uh, yeah, this is one of those where it's it's undisputed that the one is going to take the 16 here. So Chris Pronger is a Hall of Famer. He is a not with the Blues, but he won the cup in 2007. We're not judging him on that. Uh, Four time All Star won the heart in 1999-2000. Not, not just the Norris. He won that too. The heart for the best player in hockey. In his uh, St. Louis Blues career, which spanned nine years, he played 598 games, scored 84 goals, 272 assists, and had 356 points. His plus-minus was a plus-140. And his penalty minutes, 931 which is in the top 10 in uh, Blues history, actually. Uh, He was a very fierce and and rugged player for uh, his time with the Blues. And uh, Jeff Finley, uh, he played hockey. (laughs) Uh, He played six years, uh, 371 games for the St. Louis Blues, six goals, 28 assists, 34 points, 46 plus minus, which actually puts him in the top 10 in all of Blues history. That's shocking. And uh, especially when you consider that, like, if you look at his career, he never played a full 82. You know, he was always like a 65 to 74 game type of a guy. Um, And he also had 206 penalty minutes, not particularly uh, mean on defense, but uh, uh, he let you know he was there. Uh, So, yeah, this is this is come on. It's Pronger, right? Oh, yeah. It's no question. He he is probably one of the best, if not the best blues defenseman of all time, just overall, because he didn't just score goals or he didn't just, you know, play physical or prevent goals. He was all over. He was offensive. He was defensive. He was smart. He just did everything. He was a top five Norris candidate five of the years that he was here in St. Louis. You don't, you know, that's, that's Nicholas Lidstrom territory. That's Ray Bork territory. That's why he's a hall of famer. That's why he went to Edmonton and took them to a Stanley cup final in his one and only year there. That's why he was one of the guys that led Anaheim to a Stanley Cup victory. Those things don't count in our bracket, but they started and originated here. And, you know, we'll get into the forwards later and talk about Brendan Shanahan and that whole trade. That trade changed the course of the franchise and really changed the course of Chris Pronger's career. Yeah. And what happened here in St. Louis is really what made him. And we had no I had no idea at the time just how much that trade would change the Blues. I mean, I was like nine years old when it happened, and I loved Brendan Shanahan. He was, you know, next to Brett Hall, he was my next favorite Blue. Uh, he, uh, you know, was a very, you know, he was a power forward. Uh, he always hosted these softball games, you know, for charity, you know, during the summer. Uh, I met him a couple times. It's a really just, just a peach of a guy. And when he got traded, I I I I was angry. I was so angry. It's like Mike Keenan, you ran off another one. <laughs> but uh, you know, this Pronger kid turned out okay. So, yeah, yeah, you know, good. I it, it worked out. That's that's one of the only Mike Keenan moves I think that actually kind of worked out. Yes, you know, I, I, I agree. Yeah, that, I mean, definitely. I mean, letting Cujo walk away not good. Although we had Grant Fuhrer, uh, so that was fine. Um, Letting Brett Hall walk to Dallas. Uh, well, I, here I go again. <laughs> it's another getting podcast. Angry Ke- and getting angry at Mike Keenan again. I keep doing this. Oh man, <laughs> I keep I keep telling my therapist I'll get better, uh, and it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. All right. Uh, so yeah, Pronger. In uh, my opinion, in your opinion, Pronger wipes the floor with Jeff Finley. Totally. Um. Yeah. Just there. There were not many players like. Chris Pronger and uh, probably can argue he's you won't see many like him ever again. Just the combination of size and skill, as you mentioned, just unparalleled. Well, and you look at I mean, we'll get into this when we talk about the Alex Petrangelo matchup with Eric Brewer. You're starting to see you'll see declining penalty minutes. You'll see declining physical things, but you're starting to see increase in offensive production. So, you know, we talk about Petrangelo 
109 goals in his career. And you're talking about one of the greatest defensemen in all of Blues history. He only had 84. So you're going to see that change and transition as we look into some of these other guys. So, yeah, it, it's it, you may not see another Chris Pronger in, in our lifetime. Yeah. All right. Now our number eight versus number nine matchup, the right to get clobbered by Chris Pronger. <laughs> uh, it is going to be number eight, Jeff Brown, taking on number nine, Jay Bomeister. Uh, this one... This is this is a good one here, and it's it's this is like one of those matchups where it, it really is kind of like eye of the beholder territory. It really just depends what you value in your defenseman. Yeah, it really does. This is the pure offensive defenseman versus defensive defenseman. And you look at Jeff Brown, 80 goals in 329 games with the Blues, 214 assists. So almost 300, almost a point per game player as a defenseman. But then you flip it over and you go, oh, he was a minus 19, which means he did not play a whole lot of defense uh, yeah. in, in most cases. And then you flip it over to Bo Meester and, you know, 100 and uh, what, 126. 124 points in 490 games with the Blues, but a plus 48. And when you think of defensive defensemen for the Blues, he's there at the top of the list. So it really does come down to what you value. Is it offensive? Is it defensive? Who Who is the the better matchup for you in, in this 8-9? Yeah, Jay Bomeister is an interesting case for me, you know, just as a player, because before his time in St. Louis, he was considered kind of an offensive defenseman. I mean, he was a guy that put up, you know, 40 points on multiple occasions with Florida. Uh, you know, he was still putting up, you know, he was still dishing out 20 to 26 assists for Calgary. And when he, I remember when he was brought into the Blues, he was advertised as that left-handed puck-moving defenseman the Blues lacked. And, you know, for the first couple of years, he still kind of served in that capacity. In fact, his first year with the Blues, he had four goals, 33 assists for 37 points in 82 games. But then he really kind of shifted into being more of a pure defensive defenseman. Um, a real Ironman type, didn't miss games. Uh, he had one of the uh, longest Ironman streaks uh, um, for a while there, actually. And uh, just a real fitness guy, good guy in the locker room. Um, you know, and then on the flip side of that, you have Jeff Brown. Um, Jeff Brown was an offensive force back in his day. Uh, with the Blues, I mean, he was actually a point-per-game guy in his uh, last full season with the Blues. 92-93, uh, he played 71 games, 25 goals, 53 assists for 78 points. That's unheard of, you know, for, you know, a, a defenseman nowadays. Back then, you know, he played in an era where you had Paul Coffey, you had Phil Housley, you had, you know, a lot more offensive responsibility for a defenseman than you do now, it seemed. And you had just these elite scores playing on the blue line. He was kind of in that crop. He was kind of in that category as well. Uh, he uh, scored 20 goals a year prior. And then he ended up playing four and a half years. Actually, um, when you add it all up, it's about uh, about four years with the Blues. Because uh, he was uh, midseason traded both times to the Blues. And then traded to Vancouver. Um, a high point producing guy. Um but did he really move the needle for the Blues while he was there? That's that's kind of the question with him. Um, and it always kind of felt you wanted more out of Jeff Brown, especially in his own end. Uh, but then again, you can say the same thing about Jay Bomeister at times, Wags. I mean, he's been kind of the subject of fans' ire, you know, more than once or twice, too. Oh, yeah, he certainly has. I mean, like you said, when he came into this team, he was looked at as one of those offensive solutions because of what he did in Calgary and in Florida. But I'd argue the fact that, you know, what he has brought to this team has been what this team needed. You know, he ended up getting paired with Colton Pareko and they became the absolute shutdown defensive pairing in the playoffs last year. And, and yeah. without those two, they would not have won the Stanley Cup. Um, and then you also look back, you look at Jeff Brown's career, one all-star game appearance. You look back at Bo Meester's career as a whole, multiple all-star games. Uh, mentioned in the Norris top 20 in, in multiple seasons, a member of the Lady Bing conversation. I mean, granted, you know, 62, 46 votes, that sort of thing, not high in it. He actually was seventh in the Calder in, in his rookie year. True. So, you know, he's had accolades throughout his career that show he has, you know, high value 
And whether it was offensively, defensively, what he did for the teams that he was a part of, that's not something you ever saw with Jeff Brown, even not just in St. Louis and his other stops along the way was never one of those guys that people looked at and were like, oh, well, he does this well or he does that well. Yes, he scored a lot of goals, but you talked about coffee and guys like that. There were other guys that were doing that at a better pace and doing more things for their team yeah. than in what Jeff Brown did for St. Louis. And also Brown was another guy that seemed to have troubles, you know, staying on the ice as well. I mean, he only hit 80 games one time in his entire career. And I think he also suffers just from being overshadowed by better offensive defensemen in his time. But, you know, you look at, you know, the, you know, Jay Bomeister, he played, you know, five years, six years for Florida. He played four years for Calgary. And then he's played ever since 2012 with the St. Louis blues. Um, he brings just a steadiness to him. Um, whereas Jeff Brown was always like the exciting potential. Um, but just, you know, he always left you kind of wanting more a little bit and you kind of ran down a good point. I mean, Bo Meester was always, you know, in the all-star conversation, always, you know, he, he mentioned from the horse a couple of years and Jeff Brown just didn't have that. And, and Jeff Brown was also kind of a journeyman. You know, he was a journeyman for a reason. Whereas Bo Meester has been more solid, I think in his career. So I would say, I, I say the nine seed Bo Meester takes this one. I think so too. And and for me, the key is consistency. That's, that's what it comes down to. Bo Meester was consistent. Jeff Brown, not so much. He's still not going to have a chance against Pronger though. I don't think so. No, no. <laughs> so, some people may pull the, uh, the, the sympathy card, but uh, I don't, I don't <laughs> think that's going to be the, the case. I, I either sympathy or smart Alec card. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, he's going to get at least one vote in our poll. I think. I think so too. This from from some from some jerk. I meant fan. Um, all right, our next matchup here uh, is going to be number five, Barkley Plager versus number twelve, Paul Cavallini. So who you got in this one? Oh man, this is I mean, this, this is a uh, tough one. Yeah, and tougher I mean, than tougher than you might think. Yeah, because I mean, you know Barkley was one of those guys that he was the heart and soul uh, of this team. And one of those guys that that touched this team in many different levels, from player to coach to just being a, a part of the community. Um, and then you've got Paul Cavallini, who had some very good seasons with the Blues. I uh, was one of probably one of the better offensive defensemen that the Blues have had, uh, especially during the time frame that he played. Um, but you know, he was also one of those guys that was kind of forgettable too. Uh, you know, you don't, you know, he he played with his brother here, but. You know, he's one of those guys you don't remember a whole lot about. And even though he had some good seasons here, you know, it, it's, you don't remember him. And that, I think that's why, you know, he's a 12 seed, even though he had success here. Um, and that's why, you know, even though it's going to be a tough matchup, I still think I may go with, with Barkley on this one. This is to me like the ultimate five twelve matchup, you know, in any March madness bracket, because a lot, the way five twelve matchups work, if you don't play, the uh, the college basketball brackets and you know in your office pool, it's often a power conference team coming in as a number five, taking on like some you know uh, uh, like like the best team in some minnow conference that you know like the like the SWAC or the you know Sun West or some conference you've never even heard of, and to me I think this is this is this is Barkley versus Cavallini in a nutshell. Um, People forget that Cavallini was a good defenseman. I mean, he was he was never a flashy guy uh, with the Blues. I mean, he played in the uh, late '80s, you know, early '90s, first couple of years. But he was very steady. Uh, he he can contribute on offense. He uh, you know he he would put up close to 100 point penalty minutes a year. So he was a tough, aggressive player. And I'll just give you a stat here, uh, Wags. One thing that Hockey Reference does uh, they have a thing called point shares. Now, point shares are very similar to Bill James' win shares, um, if you if you follow baseball sabermetrics at all. Um, basically, uh, win shares are what how many wins that a baseball player contributes uh, for his team every single year. Now, for the hockey side of things, they've the uh, hockey reference has done it to where. Uh, they can uh, they judge how many points that a single player has contributed to their team's points, you know, every season and then throughout their career. When I say this is a close matchup, I'm going to give you point shares here. 
Barkley Plager in his uh, career, he played over 600 games, 614 to be exact, had 51.8 point shares. Paul Cavallini uh, played 564 games, so about a half season less than Barkley. 46.7 points per share, a difference of about five. Over a career, that's not much. And it's, it's to me... I, I still I'm still going with Barkley here, and, and I, I, have, I have a feeling that that's that's gonna be the pick of many, but this is close. This is oh. closer than a lot of people think. I mean, yes, Paul Cavallini's name and number do not hang from the rafters of Enterprise Center, but Cavallini still had four of uh, in his ten-year uh, career. Uh, Paul Cavallini um, actually played six of them with St. Louis. 337 games with the Blues, 37 goals, 120 assists for 157 points. He was a plus 99 as a Blue, which is up up there for for all-time Blues. Um, And he had 514 penalty minutes as a member of the Blues in six years. Uh, Barkley Plager, he played 10 years. He also, uh, he had 44 goals, so just a couple more than Cavallini. 187 assists, 231 points, but over 1,100 penalty minutes. So Barkley was definitely more of a more rugged than than Cavallini was. I give the edge to Barkley, but it's closer than people think. What it's do you think, Wags? I, I totally agree. I mean, just looking at what Cavallini did in his career and then breaking it down to what he did with the Blues, you know, plus 25, plus 38, plus 19. His three best years were with the Blues. And you look at, you talk about win share, you know, point shares of that 46.7 in his career, 30.5 of that was with the Blues. So he took, he spent his time in St. Louis and really made the most of it. And it was a different era too. I mean, when Barkley played, it was more physical, you know, less teams, that sort of stuff. And when Cavallini was here, it was more of that wide open style with Gretzky and Lemieux and, and things like that. So you can see, you know, the point totals going up there, but the fact that the point totals were up there, but also the plus minus was so good. It just showed you what an all around even player he was. And I think that's along the same lines that you're talking about. That's why it's so close is because he was an all around even player. It just wasn't sexy. No. And, you know, some, you know, people are all about the big hits or the big goals or the big saves. But really, when it comes down to it, when you've got a steady guy that you can put back there and really not have to worry about anything, that's Paul Cavallini. Yeah, definitely for sure. Um, and, and, and for me, the only reason, you know, really one of the only reasons that Paul isn't my pick here, his time with St. Louis was far shorter than Barclays. I mean, he played six years in St. Louis, Barkley played 10. Uh, so there's there's that, and just you know when it comes to the impact on the organization, you know, Barkley played in the in the late '60s, early '70s, and yet most Blues fans could be able to remember his face and what he did versus a Paul Cavallini. Uh, I I just think the impact for Barkley is just greater, and I and and it's this is it's it's a I hate saying this because I I almost talked myself into Cavallini here, but. It's Barkley. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. At the All-Star break, uh, Paul Cavallini was part of one of the panels that was here. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know who he was when I first got there. <laughs> like, he got to the stage. I was like, oh, hey, that's Brett Hall. That's Bernie Federko. Who was this guy in the middle? No clue who he was. And then just a very soft-spoken, didn't talk a whole lot whatsoever. And yeah. I, I think that explains Cavallini right there. Even Keel, not really going to rock the boat between Federko and Hall. That, that's Cavallini in a nutshell. Yeah, and uh, you know, and, and of course, remember his brother Gino also played with the uh, Blues, who is not in this tournament, by the way. Uh, just for <laughs> notes. So, all right, we are going with with Barkley here uh, ourselves. I, I want to see if how many of you, you know, that are listening right now, uh, go with Paul. I, I just I want to see that. I really want to see. I want to see some Paul votes. I, I just let let's see. Let's see if we can we can have that upset after all. I can't bring myself to do it, but it's painful i can't i can't do it it is um all right we're gonna move on to our next matchup now here it is number four versus number 13 it's the battle of the bobs bob plager versus bob gasoff and uh this one i i think this one is 
this Plager brother is going to have an easier go of it, but not for, not for, I, I, I guess what I'm looking for is good reasons. Um, I think in terms of ability and talent, I think they were right up there with each other. It's just Bob Gasoff's career ended way too early. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. For I think tragic if, reasons. I think if this was one of those things where Gasol's career was 10, 12, 13 years, the the seating would have been flipped and it would have been no question that Gasoff was the absolute winner. Maybe could have turned into one of the best blues defensemen of all time, uh, if that were the case. Uh, but as it stands, uh yeah, it's it's for me it's Bob Plager just because of what he's meant to the organization as a whole. Uh, he's been with them since the beginning. Uh, he has made an impact on the ice, off the ice, in the arena, outside the arena, in the community, anywhere he goes, people know who number four is. and Or not number four. Oh, my gosh. I'm just looking at a seating. People know who Bobby Plager is. They, they know who he is. Yes. People know who Gasoff is. But when it comes down to it, if you ask anybody who their favorite St. Louis Bob is, it, it's Plager. No question. I, I suspect Bob is going to go very deep in this. Um, uh, Plager, I mean. Uh, <laughs> Gasoff, and, and just to kind of tell you, I mean, I'll read it straight off of Wikipedia here just to give you some context into Gasoff. By the way, if you go to Blues games, Gasoff's number does hang from the rafters. Um, that's kind of how, that kind of gives some perspective into what kind of a player he was. But Gasoff, according to Wikipedia, uh, was killed in a motorcycle accident on Sunday of Memorial Day weekend in 1977. He and his pregnant wife, Diane, had been invited to a postseason barbecue at teammate Gary Unger's 200-acre farm near Grace Summit, Missouri. At roughly 6 p.m., Gasoff joined several others in riding motorcycles around Unger's property. Unger later said that he remembered wondering if it was a good idea for Gasoff to ride the motorcycle because he had been drinking and did not have any riding experience. Gasoff drove out of Unger's property on a gravel road that merged into a winding road leading up a hill to Villa Ridge, Missouri. Gasoff was not wearing a helmet and had no license plate on his motorcycle and decided to take a short run up the hill and come right back. On his way back down the hill, he collided head-on with a car driven by a man named Douglas Kleekamp. The crash killed Gasoff, and Kleekamp walked away uninjured. Um, in October 1977, Gasoff's widow filed a $3 million lawsuit against Unger, his wife, and Kleekamp, whom the suit alleged was one of Unger's employees running an errand for the Ungers. Unger describes Gasoff's death as one of the most devastating moments of his life. So, a tragic story, and I, I'm sorry I've brought the uh, temperature uh, down a little bit on this, but uh, um, let's talk about what Gasoff, what did he do on the ice? Uh, he played four years to the Blues, from 73 to 77, uh, he had uh, played 245 games, 11 goals, 47 assists for 58 points. He was a minus 13. And uh, you want to talk about, talk about making the most of your time. Um, in 74-75, he had 222 penalty minutes. In 75-76, he had 306 penalty minutes. And in his final year, in 76-77, he had 254 penalty minutes. He belonged on the line with the Hanson brothers. Oh no! Back, back in the day, no this, question. I mean, and just and just a little. I mean, in those three years alone, he had almost eight hundred penalty minutes. That's unfathomable. That's I mean, the her, fact that's the, that's heroic. It's un unreal. I mean, because you talk about we just talked about Barkley having over eleven hundred in a ten year career. We oh, talked about how, him. How rugged he was. Yes. Okay. Had nothing on Gasoff. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Brian Sutter leads the lead, leads the team with over seventeen hundred, and in just four years, Gasoff had about had half of that. Pro prolific. Yes, uh, is, is the word I was I, I was I'm going for there, and, and let's compare that to Bob Plager. Bob Plager played 11 years for the Blues, and by all means, was considered a tough, rugged, hard-hitting defenseman. Was definitely not an offensive dynamo. He had 141 points in 616 games. Uh, was a plus 29, and Bob Plager has 760 penalty minutes for his entire 11-year career it, with with the Blues. Uh, he had 800 total. He played a couple years with the Rangers before then. Um, but the fact of the matter is, and God, Gasoff, if, if he played longer, he had all the makings of a St. Louis Blues legend. And he just, a tragedy, you know, and fate stepped in, you know, and took him from us. 
But yeah, Bob Plager, what can you say about Bob Plager? I mean, he's he he is the heart and soul of this franchise even nowadays. I mean, I you know, I I've had the privilege of covering games in the uh, Blues press box on behalf of KMOX and uh it's it's you never ever go a game without seeing Bob Plager not even watching the game but just pacing in the hallways back and forth, back and forth kind of nervously, kind of maybe chewing on a fingernail. Just uh, he just He's he just one of those guys that just truly bleeds blue, and uh, hey, he, was, he lives and he lives and dies by this team. He really does, and I was so happy that he was there in Boston when the Blues won the Cup, and he got to celebrate with the team. And uh, um, you know, it, it, you can't say enough good things about Bob Plager. Um, in fact, I, my my dad, he was a uh, a broadcaster in the late seventies, early eighties. He actually was the news director for KPLR. And uh, he was tasked with training Bob Plager for uh, to be an on-air analyst. And uh, <laughs> uh, let's just say Bob Plager was a little stubborn um, at times, uh, but they got along great. And, uh, and and my dad has nothing but great things to say about Bob. I mean, you know, just uh, um, I, th- I, I mean, Plager wins this round, um, but uh, I always – Always like a like a chance to talk about the legend that could have been Bob Gasoff. You know, I mean, tragedy aside, um, he's one of those guys that you. I swear they they must have thought of him when they were making the movie Slapshot. I can see that. Well, and you, you talk about you have to talk about a guy like Bob Gasoff because he, his career was so short and because of what happened. Because a lot of Blues fans. They look up at their at the jerseys in the rafters, and they know McKinnis, they know Hall, they know the guys up there. But then you see Gasoff, and a lot of people are like, "I don't really know who that is." And yeah, you need to his story needs to be told, and you need to understand why his number is up there. Well, and unfortunately, we have uh, coronavirus to thank for having us be able to tell his story. But uh, I'm glad we got to tell it. Same here. I'm glad we got to tell it. So. Uh, moving on to our next matchup here, as we are already a, a half hour into uh, this episode here, about halfway through, uh, we have number three, Alex Petrangelo, taking on number 14, the often lamented Eric Brewer. The most apathetic man in the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I would be more angry at him if I felt he cared. <laughs> he didn't look like he, he had any feelings whatsoever. I He was just... And and I I have friends of mine that you know kind of tell me like oh you just you just hate him because he was the main piece for Chris Pronger, um that's part of it, but he I put him in the same category that I do a Patrick Berglund who almost made this bracket but I cut him out, um and other players that just they don't seem to provide any value while they're on the ice I I mean Brewer. Uh, for his entire career, he's played over a thousand games in the NHL. He's retired now, uh, thank God. Um, but uh, he was a minus ninety-nine in his career, including a minus seventy-five during his three hundred thirty-two games with the St. Louis Blues. Um, he had three hundred thirty-two penalty minutes and three hundred thirty-two games played. Um, he scored a little bit. I mean, he had thirty goals and he had sixty-five assists. But what? <sighs> Tell me what Eric Brewer did. I mean, like he wasn't an offensive guy. He wasn't a great puck mover. He wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a Bob Gassoff type of defenseman or even a Plager or, you know, even a Cavallini. What did he do? Uh, he got us Jordan Bennington. Yeah, okay. That that that, <laughs> that, 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 that makes it better a little bit. He was, I mean, he was, he was the captain for this team for a few years and, it just it, it baffles you because, like you said, he didn't bring offensive capabilities. He didn't bring strong defensive capabilities. You didn't. You never looked at him as a guy that was going to be vocal on the ice. Um, and, and you know, some people are going to sit there and say, "Oh, well, Alex Petrangelo is the same way. You don't see him vocal on the ice." But you do, in a sense, because it's, it's more it's more calm vocalization. And with Petrangelo, you can see him being a guy that takes things behind the, you know, into the dressing room and saying, Hey, look, I'm going to pull you aside. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it or anything like that with Eric Brewer. You didn't even see that. You didn't even feel like he was a guy that the young players would go to and be like, Hey, Eric, this is what's going on. What kind of advice can you give me? What have you? You just didn't see that. I mean, Eric Brewer is like the living, walking, breathing picture of paint drying. (laughs) 
pretty much. It's just it's boring and nothing's going on. No, no, yeah, it's it, and that was, that was his thing. I mean, it just it just I I never got it. I mean, and 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 I I've been among the people that have criticized Petrangelo a little bit just because he's not like this hyper you know emotional guy on the ice. It's that's it's not him. He's not an emotional guy. He's a cool, calm guy, and I've and I've talked to him in scrums after games before, and he's just he's just a general, you know. He he is he is a general. He is a guy that I think has grown into his role a little bit. I mean, who doesn't? Um, you know, when when you're a young guy that gets to see put on you. I mean, you know, you, you, there is a little bit of a growing that goes into it. Um, but I think Petrangelo has evolved into a pretty good captain, and I really hope he's back. This you know, I hope he doesn't walk this off season. That would be tragic. Um, it'll be just as tragic as trading Chris Pronger for Eric Brewer. Um, I, and just as, as a disclaimer, I tried to find any possible way I could have kept Eric Brewer out of this tournament. I tried, but the blues did not have a suitable alternative. <laughs> that is literally the reason. I mean, I it was either him or Igor Kravchuk, okay. And I'm sorry, Kravchuk was he wasn't great either. Uh, I could have put Mark Bergevin in for a few giggles, um, but I mean, Brewer's saving grace was that he was here for a while, so that's the only reason why he's in this one. And this might be I can see fans making this a bigger homicide than you know Pronger against Finley. Yeah, because at least Finley had some some value being a some plus, redeeming value, like a plus forty six or whatever in his, yeah. in his career. He wasn't I mean, bad. Brewer was a minus seventy five for us. Like, yes, it was back. It was back in the days when we weren't scoring and we had guys like Patrick Lalim in net. So it's not like the goaltending was phenomenal during that time frame either. But still, but he did not. But he did nothing to reverse that help? trend. No, not no, at all. Nothing. So yeah, Brewer gets clobbered here. It's yes. for Trangelo. Uh, moving on, before uh, we make this a, a very negative uh, <laughs> broadcast here, I've already ranted about Mike Keenan already, uh, unwarranted. Um, well, actually, with Mike Keenan, it's always warranted. Um, number six versus number 11, a uh, tale of two very similar type of defensemen here. I like I, I like this matchup that you put. I mean, a lot of the matchups here, there, there's some good continuity with a lot of these. We just had captain versus captain. And now we have rugged defenseman versus rugged defenseman. Number six, Barrett Jackman takes on number 11, Rob Ramage. Yeah, and I think for me the biggest piece is the fact that the amount of time Rob Ramage spent here. I didn't realize that he played 441 games with the Blues. I mean, that's that's a long time. I mean, there's a lot of these players that played for a longer amount of time with St. Louis than I anticipated. Uh, but like you said, Rob Ramage, 898 penalty minutes in his 440 games with the Blues. Jackman, over 1,000 in his career with the Blues. Um, the thing that gets me is that it, how good of a defenseman Barrett Jackman actually was. You know, plus 53 in his career. He was the Calder winner in 2002-2003 as well. That that should not go unnoticed, the fact that he won the Calder. Because I think that was the same year Henrik Zetterberg was uh, first in the league as well, I believe. Which means he beat out a Detroit Red Wing. Yeah. Yeah, he did. This one is this is another close one for me, and I'm gonna pick my first upset. Ooh, I'm okay. going Ramage, and it's nothing against Jackman, but you you hit it right on the head, right off the bat with Ramage. You forget Ramage was a very good player, um, and you know he, of course he's a trivia answer to a trivia question now because he got traded for Brett Hall. Um, but I mean, just look at some of the numbers here. I mean, Ramage in 82-83, he had 16 goals, 35 assists for 51 points in 78 games, 193 penalty minutes. Next season, he played all 80 games. Back then, they only played up to 80. Uh, seven goals, 31 assists for 38 points for 178 penalty minutes as well. Next season, he had 66 points in 77 games played, 171 penalty minutes that year. Um, there, there's a trend here, uh, 59 games played 39 points, 11 goals, 28 assists and 108 penalty minutes. And then before he got dealt for this chubby overweight blonde kid from Calgary, um, he had uh, 67 games played for the blues, eight goals, 34 assists, 42 points, 
127 penalty minutes. So you talking about a guy who could do it all. He was a just your prototypical two-way defenseman for his time. I mean, really, that he was the prototype. Uh, I mean, yes, there were better defensemen around the league that were more complete, but people forget how good Ramage was. 441 games played, 67 goals, 229 assists for 296 points as a member of the Blues, and as you said, almost 900 penalty minutes uh, during his time with the Blues. Compare that to Jackman. Now, and, and Jackman had a fine career. Don't get me wrong. I have nothing against him. But he was definitely more one-dimensional mm-hmm. during his time with the Blues. He was a stay-at-home, rugged defenseman. But he, he didn't even have the prolific penalty numbers. I mean, in 803 games played, he had 1,026 penalty minutes with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Ramage, on the other hand, he played 441 games and had almost 900 so that just that just kind of tells you. I mean, now I'm not saying penalty minutes is the end all be all for, um, you know, determining a player's worth, but it kind of gives you an idea of just how much more aggressive that Ramage was, um, and yet he still could he was still a point producer. Um, Jackman played for 13 years with the St. Louis Blues. He was a faithful servant of the Blues, and there is definitely arguments to be made that Jackman as far as what the value that he left to the Blues had more of an impact than Ramage. But Ramage made the most out of what he had here in St. Louis. And in a small way, he got us Brett Hall. He was good <laughs> enough to be traded for Brett Hall. That's got to count for something. Yeah, oh, it certainly does. I mean, I, I, think, I think the one counter I would have to your argument as far as the penalty minutes is concerned is – I always saw Barrett Jackman as a very, very tough physical player. And I would like it it to the fact that he was smarter with his physicality, which resulted in fewer penalty minutes. Um, You know, I think a lot of players, they, they feared being on the ice with Barrett Jackman, maybe not as feared as when Chris Pronger was out there uh, because it was with Pronger, it was more reckless than anything else. I think Jackman was a lot smarter with his physicality because he, most people don't realize he's actually kind of a smaller player. He wasn't a big oversized Hulk of a defenseman. He had to use his body effectively and, and, and smartly. If that's even a word, I like to make up words sometimes, Um, (laughs) you know, Ramage was a physical player and, you know, I wouldn't say that he got caught more uh, because that's why he got more penalty minutes. I just think it's, it's different. I think Jackman was smarter when it came to his physicality. So that would be my argument for why I would say Jackman, uh, even though Ramage does have more penalty minutes and seems to be more of a, of a physical player, but I, I really can't argue the fact that, yeah, he played so well that, uh, that, that Ramage got a spread hall. Uh, that's, a, that's a hard argument because Jackman was good, but he was never one of those guys that was good enough that you'd be like, hmm, if we trade him, what could we get? Jackman was never an all-star. Ramage was a four-time all-star with the Blues. So, you know, here, here's one of those matchups where seeding may actually not matter. Yeah, it may not. It's, it's a lot closer than the seating indicates. I'm I'm staying. I, I I'm sticking with Ramage on this one. What do you think? Uh, you know what? I think I think you swayed me. I think this would be this would be the first episode for me as well. I, I will go with Ramage with you on this one. And as much as I hate to say it, please, Barrett Jackman, don't come bust down my door and kick my ass. Yes. Uh, but uh, I'm gonna go with Ramage. Yeah, Barrett Jackman may not have been the bigger defenseman, but he would still beat the crap out of either one of oh, us. Oh yeah, so, definitely. You know, they'll just you know, you know, we we we've insulted the man enough. <laughs> um, and you know what? I, I, this is one of those I think a lot of fans would probably disagree with us with. Although if they <laughs> I mean, maybe, I mean, I swayed you because I have a feeling that before this, you were on the Barrett bandwagon. So. Oh, yeah. And, and more so because of, of recent memory. I mean, I think you're going to get a lot of people that are like, well, I remember Barrett Jackman. He played for so long. I don't remember Rob Ramage playing for us. But then when you do like we do and do a deeper dive into things, that's when you really start to bring out the stuff of like, oh, that makes more sense. That matters. Those are the points I should be making. Most yeah. people are going to look at it and go, oh, I remember Barrett Jackman. I don't remember Rob Ramage. Boom, Jackman advances. <laughs> Definitely. So listen to the show and make your picks from there. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. And you know what? Use your own opinion on this. I mean, as well. I mean, like, we're not the, you know, end all be all scries for the Blues. These are just, we're just, we're, we're, we're two fans making our, making our opinion here. So uh, here's another interesting matchup here. And I'm that, that I'm really curious where people sit on. Number seven, Colton Pareko versus number 10, Kevin Shattenkirk. And this is going to be 
what have you done for me lately versus what have you done during your blues career, you know, as a whole? Um, Wags, I, let's get your thoughts on this one, first of all. You know, I thought this one was going to be much harder, uh, but when I step back and just look at overall picture, this is one of the most easy picks I've made probably in this entire frame. Uh, really? I, I think I think it's Colton Pareko. Uh, I just think overall, if you look back and you step back and you look at overall game, Pareko has a massive shot. He has puck handling ability. He has a defensive mindset. You got to remember, like we talked with Bo Meester, these, these two were the shutdown pair against top lines across the entire playoffs last year. Um, and he's, he's physical, too. I mean, he's not going to be out there laying down huge hits, but he's smart with his physicality. And, and he's got an offensive mindset that, that rivals a guy like Kevin Shattenkirk. Uh, you know, when you, when you look back at what Shattenkirk did, yes, he was a power play point producer. But you also look at how many of his shots went off of the shin pads of a guy on the power play, and all of a sudden Shattenkirk's racing back trying to protect you know, the defensive zone, and he Fair. couldn't get back. Pareko so can so you're saying he was a Justin Falk before Justin Falk? Shatter yes, but not as big. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, that, 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 was, that, was, that was our one dig at Justin yes, Falk. Yes, we had to get fans. one of those in. You get one. That's all you get. Um, I see your points on Colton Pareko, and I don't disagree with them. Um, the thing that people forget that at one point, Blues fans were asking the question, Petrangelo or Shattenkirk? You know, as far as being the best Blues defenseman, there were questions asked of Petrangelo early in his career, and it looked like that Shattenkirk might have been the guy for for a little while there. Um, but that kind of leads into another issue that he had, and that was he was a little inconsistent. And uh, he had some issues, as you mentioned, defending his own zone. I mean, I don't think he was as bad historic. You know, like if we look at, you know, defensemen historically – I don't think he had the issues that a Jeff Brown had or a Phil Housley had, um, you know, in terms of his own zone, but the issues were there. Like, kind of like, like I said, he was kind of, you know, he reminds me a little bit of Justin Falk, to be honest with you. Um, and I, I don't say that positively um, either. So, and, and there's a reason, there's a reason why Shattenkirk, you know, this doesn't really play into the rankings, but there's a reason why he signed such a cheap deal with Tampa, you know, this offseason, you know, because he's he's got deficiencies. He's got issues. Whereas you look at Colton Pareko, you look at him kind of in the same light that you would with Chris Pronger. Big guy, six foot six, um, plays a good two way game. Uh, I think his offensive game still is evolving. Um, and I want to see him shoot the puck more because he's got that Al McGinnis type of a slapper in it. I think he has that in his locker. He just, he just doesn't break it out enough. Um, he's got 10 goals this year, which is encouraging. Um, but here's a, here's another, here's a stat that I think kind of seals it for me with Pareko. Um, Kevin Shattenkirk in his 425 games with the blues, he had 59 goals, 199 assists, 258 points. Uh, he was a plus 24 in seven years with the Blues. Colton Pareko in five years with the Blues is a plus 56. Um, that kind of, t- it, it, now again, plus minus isn't perfect, but it does tell you generally uh, if a player is effective, especially, I, I think I think it's very valid for defenders. I really oh. think it's very valuable for defenders. Yeah, most definitely. And, and I think another piece that I would throw in there is Look at the the penalty kill. Who would you put out there on a penalty kill? Would you put Kevin Shattenkirk out there, or would you put Colton Pareko out there? I mean, you put Shattenkirk out there if you want your team to lose. <laughs> if you're if if you're tanking for Lafreniere, I mean, you know, I mean, the, Detroit would love to have a Shattenkirk on their blue line. Put him up, put him, pair him up with Mike Green. Oh, that oh, would my, be man, horrific. Let, let in all the goals. <laughs> just, just 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 let it rain. <laughs> I mean, screw you, Jimmy Howard. Thanks for coming back for your umpteen season. Now you're gonna allow five goals a game. Good luck. No. Um, it's, it's, this is Colton Pareko. I think it, it's, it, it's, cl- it, when you look at it on paper, it's closer, but you're reminded when you look at the numbers of just the issues that, uh, that Shattenkirk had that drove blues fans nuts. Not to say that Pareko doesn't drive blues fans nuts every now and then, 
you just you want to see a little more out of him at times um but he's he's just he's good he he's a beast of a man um in fact actually uh he's uh i remember craig ruby saying earlier this season that uh if he would allow his daughter to marry a blues player which one would he would he pick ruby said pareko Oh yeah, I've been pushing my little sister on him. I'd be like, "Hey, hey, you're single. You gotta, you gotta start hitting up Colton. You gotta He's, start hitting him up." He is single. He is tall. He is blonde. He is handsome. He likes and, dogs. And and every time I've interacted with him in the in the locker room, just a total gentleman. Well, I mean, and you look at what he did with with Layla. I mean, that right there. If that right there doesn't cinch it for you, the relationship he's had with Layla. That that right there. That I I would push my sister to marry him because of his his just genuine humanness <laughs> and, and and you talk about you know undersized people that might get offended by us if we had picked Chattenkirk, we'd be hearing it from layla right now oh and yeah I, totally. and, 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 and she would kick our asses oh yeah no question she was Absolutely. actually in my store yesterday she came into my store yesterday and i was like in awe and yeah she would still kick, yeah. kick our butts and I, and I got to meet her during the all-star festivities oh. i got to shake her hand chat with her a little bit just it, it just she's so inspiring Totally. She is totally. Just, just, and it's just that it, it, she's, they don't make, make them like Layla. They really no. don't. Um, and screw all the haters that say otherwise. Um, so yeah, we're going with Pareko there. And then our final matchup, um, another kind of easy one, but uh, it involves actually two players of mine that I, I consider sentimental favorites. Number two, Al McGinnis, which I love the seating, by the way, on that number two, Al McGinnis. Yeah, it worked out. Yeah, versus number 15, Alexander, a.k.a. Sasha Havanov. And why is Havanov in this damn thing, you ask? Well, when I did a few episodes ago, well, it's, it's probably been more than a few, uh, The uh, actually it was right around the New Year's, uh, turn of the New Year, um, I did the all 2000 through 2020 uh, Blues team, and I arranged players in lines. And Havanov almost made my top six for defense. And he just kept coming up on play on players that seemed to, you know, at least deserve a mention or deserve a credit. Uh, during his career with the Blues, which was short, it was four years, uh, he played 284 games, had 21 goals, 69 assists for 90 points. He was a plus 26, and he had a uh, one uh, he had 173 penalty minutes. And in hockey references, win sh- uh, point shares, he had 22. Now compare that. I'm gonna compare that to let's see here. Who can I compare that to here? Do, 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 do. Barry Jackman, in his entire 14-year career, which includes his one year in Nashville, Jackman had 46 point shares, and he played a lot longer than Sasha Havanoff did. And you know when when he was a Blue Wags. Havanov, I didn't really notice Havanov very much at all. I mean, he was just he was, he was part of the group. He was there with the Bergevins and the Kravchuks, and he was just kind of you know there for me. But he's one of those guys that analytics looks back on and says and just kind of wonders, you know, if, if he played longer, what his impact could have been. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, for me, it will always be that 2000 game against Toronto. Twenty four point four seconds left. And Sasha Havanoff is able to score the game tying goal, the four set game to overtime after being down five nothing. Oh but, yes. But I, you know, for me, that was the time frame where I was really formatting my blues love. I mean, I had been a blues fan before that, and I've been a blues fan since. But that time frame, that that ninety-six through two thousand three-ish time frame was really where the blues made a huge impact in my life. And, and Alexander Havanoff was one of those guys that I followed. I enjoyed watching him play. He was the same, you know, with Bryce Salvador uh, and, and those guys. That was that group. They were a solid group. They weren't spectacular. They weren't names, but they were solid. And, and Havanoff is one of those guys that always, like you said, seemed to come up. He was always there. He wasn't, you know, scoring a ton of goals. He wasn't giving up a ton of goals. He was there. He was solid. And, and that's why he he really is on this list is because yeah. he was just there. Yeah, he was, and and he was very steady. Um, now put him up against Al McGinnis, he doesn't have a prayer. No, uh, let, 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 let's be honest here. Um, you know, Al McGinnis, you know, I'm he's probably my second favorite blue of all time. 
behind Brett Hall. Um, he was my favorite player in between the Hall and Kachuk eras. And it, it's, it, it, you know, it's like, well, what about Demetra? What about Pronger? Uh, I like those guys too. Don't get me wrong. There was something about the way Al McGinnis carried himself that I just respected. Um, he was a very, you know, and I got a chance to meet him during the all-star festivities too. I did a one-on-one with him for a couple minutes, just the most down to earth, plain, friendly guy. Um, but speaks from a wealth of experience and intelligence. And just, I walked away, I, I walked into that interview respecting him a lot. I walked away respecting him even more. Um, just cause he, he's a very, he was a very professional player, was not the fastest skater. And he would be the first to admit that that was like his one, you know, if we look at a guy like Chris Pronger, you know, Chris Pronger had it all. He had the size, he had the intensity, he could contribute on offense. He can move the puck. Uh, he, and, and, you know, do, uh, and he was, he was a pretty de- he developed into a decent skater. Um, McGinnis, I mean, he played a very solid two-way game. You always think of the slap shot with McGinnis, and rightfully so. That was kind of his bread and butter. Uh, and you look at his points production every year, uh, which I don't need to repeat to you guys. You know how good he was. <laughs> um, but, you know, he also, people forget that he was also a very good defensive defenseman as well. Um, he was a guy that uh, he, I was so happy when he finally won the Norris. Uh, it was his age 35 season. It was two thousand. It was uh, 1998-1999, and uh, he was a guy that, you know, you were looking at at the time as, you know, he's entering the twilight of his career, he's going to wind it down here, and you always kind of felt that he was overlooked, you know, be it by the Lidstroms, by the, even, even the prongers of yep. the world at the time. You know, McGinnis was never, ever considered like the, you know, like the number one defenseman in hockey, and, and a lot of it was just because of the way he played. He was not a flashy guy. He is not a flashy player. He's not a flashy personality. Uh, he was just a damn good hockey player. You know, just, just just a kid who grew up firing slap shots at a barn. You know, it is uh, in his uh, uh, home back in uh, uh, Inverness, Nova Scotia. You know, uh, he was uh, uh, just 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 but just so honorable. And uh, I cannot gush about Al McGinnis enough. Um, I could go on longer, but uh, I'd be droning and droning and droning. But uh, <laughs> I will say that if it gets to McGinnis versus Pronger, and I have a feeling it might, you're going to have a tough time talking me out of McGinnis on that one. I, I 100% agree. I mean, you look like you said, Pronger had like all the tools. He's the five-tool player. He's the He's the best player out there on defense. But when you talk about McGinnis overall, you know, he not not a single teammate or opponent had anything bad to say about him ever. He was not a dirty player. He didn't do things that that caused people to to get hurt outside of taking 110 mile an hour slap shots and breaking goaltenders hands. Uh, but that wasn't <laughs> intentional. That was part of his game. He never did it on purpose. And, and you, you could tell when he took those shots and the goalie like shook his glove. Like, especially when he broke guys' hands, you could tell he, he like looked down and was like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I apologize for breaking your hand with, with a super hard slap shot. He, he, he was the kind of guy that if he swatted a fly in the locker room, he'd feel bad about it. Oh yeah, you know, just, totally. just just that kind Just that kind of guy. He was not a mean player no. whatsoever, uh, but he was still a very responsible defender. I mean, yes. and, and, and he would throw the body now and then, but he, he would do it out of a, not like a, you know, uh, Bob Gasoff, where he would just seem to like, you know, pile up the penalty minute stats and, you know, try to take people's heads off. Um, you know, he did it out of a sense of duty. It was, it was his job, you know, and I, I just respect guys like that so much. And uh, uh, yeah, so this one this obviously is picking us over having off here without a doubt. Um, but uh, I want to know fans, what do you think about our, our picks? What do you think? Who do you think should move on to the bracket? I mean, I only picked Ramage as the upset for as the only upset for this bracket. Is there someone else? Are there any like really hardcore Kevin Shattenkirk fans out there? You know, I mean, we're gonna start posting these polls uh, right after, uh, right on Thursday, um, probably around midday is when we'll uh, we'll uh, fire these out there. We'll have them up for two days, and then we'll discuss your results on Monday's episode. 
And that's when we'll also have the goaltenders, our next bracket here on this bracket of our own. Um, get well, Tom Hanks. Um, but yeah, this, Wags, this was a great discussion and, uh, and and a fun trip down memory lane. And uh, we're going to be taking a few more trips down memory lane here. And it's uh, it, it, it's helping it's helping me get through this hockey void. It's going to help me as well. I mean, just being able to relive some of the greater moments in Blues history and, and essentially hockey history and using some of the best players in the world as well. I mean, people continue to forget that the Blues have housed some of the best NHL players in history. And, I, and a lot of them are going to be in this bracket. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I, I couldn't get Dale Howard Chuck in this bracket. Uh, you know, just eh, he was kind of eh, when he was there. But when he was with Winnipeg, they still worship him in Winnipeg. So, you know, that's just, that just how it is. Uh, just uh, one of the – just it, it's it's so fun talking Blues history. And, uh, by the way, fans, don't forget, this was Wag's idea. So give him some dap on Twitter uh, at WaggyGoob16. Yeah, that, that's uh, that, that's from uh, it's a nickname and a and a hockey team name that uh, kind of got melded together about ten years ago. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I still am kind of a goob, though. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Wags is a goob. Alrighty, Wags. Any final thoughts? I'm excited. I can't wait to continue to delve down this uh, and move into the goalies on Monday because there's some really good matchups there. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun, and, and we really hope that you guys put your input in and, and let us know what you think because without you guys, it's just two of us talking about hockey, and uh, we want we want your input as well. So make sure you get out there and vote. Absolutely. And, and guys, thank you so much for listening because as Wags just alluded to, without you, there is no me, there is no Wags, there is no Hockey Podcast Network, and there is no Blue Notes. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you as always to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. listening to the hockey podcast network on twitter at hockeypodnet new episodes every monday and thursday download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from <laughs>